in yellow for Vosinus, let's come to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And we're going to begin by reading verse number 11. Last week, I started with you a new series. Well, new for Sunday morning. I've gone through a series on the spiritual battle before, but we're going through the spiritual battle and different aspects of it. Last week, we talked about the battleground, and we talked about two main venues where the spiritual battle is fought, and it's fought in your heart, it's fought in your mind. The devil wants to attack those two places primarily. Now, today, what we're going to focus on is the battle plan, or maybe I could put that in the plural, the battle plans. Anytime you're going out to battle, you need to have a plan, and that, that's true of the side of good and the side of bad, both sides have a plan. And wouldn't it be helpful if the enemy handed you their plans and said, this is how I'm going to attack. When you do this, I will counter with that. It would be incredibly uh, helpful to have that. Now, the devil, of course, has not handed us his strategy book, his, his plans, but the Lord has. The Lord knows him better than he knows himself. So the Lord has given us a book that tells us how the devil operates and how the spiritual world in general operates in this way. So 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11, the Bible says, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now that word devices, that's another way of saying plans. We are not ignorant of of these contrived plans that the devil has put, to, uh, put together to try to sink you, to try to shipwreck you. So we're going to talk about these in a fair amount of detail this morning. I don't want you to think that this is the entire list. I think we could make some sub-points to it and maybe uh, flush it out a little bit. But nevertheless, this will give you an idea of the kind of things the devil does to try to get you down. 2 Corinthians 2, we're going to stay right here for our first one. The first tactic, battle tactic, that the devil uses is overmuch sorrow. Overmuch sorrow. In 2 Corinthians 2, let's begin reading in verse 6. The Bible says here, Sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of many. So to help you understand the passage, in the Corinthian church there was a man who was committing a horrible sin and he was doing it over and over again. He was actually sleeping with his mother, his stepmother. It was a horrible situation, but he would not repent. So Paul wrote to the church and said, kick him out. You cannot allow that to go on in the church unchecked. He needs to be removed. So they did. That was the punishment. But this man actually figured it out. The punishment worked. It did its job, and he did repent. And now Paul is writing back to the Corinthians to say, this guy has repented. Now it's time to forgive him and bring him back. So verse 7, So that contrarywise, ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such an one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. So that's the first device. In this passage, Paul said, let's not be ignorant of how Satan works. You punished him, he repented, now it's time for forgiveness. This is not the time to hold a grudge. This is not the time to continually remind him of the mistake that he made. 
This is the time to move on, to press past it, to forgive him, comfort him, and receive him back. All of us have been here at some point where we fall, right? We, we, we make a mess of something. We knew better, but we did it anyway. The Bible says the just man falls seven times. So even the best of us, you read through the Bible, except for Jesus, the best men, the best women in the Bible, they have some sort of flaw. There's some place where they messed up. So we all find ourselves here eventually. We fall, and this is where the devil will run over to you. And may I be clear on this? I, I want you to understand exactly the fine-tuning of this. The devil cannot read your mind. You understand that? He doesn't know what you're thinking in your heart. The devil doesn't have that capability. He is not omniscient. He doesn't know all things like God. So have you ever maybe been playing a sport and if you are going against somebody, you can talk trash to them? How many of you are familiar with talking trash? Okay. Now, now here's what happens. The opponent is trying to get in your head. Are you familiar with that language? Say, so, you know, that guy got in my head and we started overthinking it. We started perceiving the match or the game to be something that it really wasn't. And he's trying to intimidate us. This is what the devil can do. He talks trash just like I can get in your head, you can get in my head. The devil can get in your head. Now, not to read your mind, he is limited. He's out here, you know, the old cartoon where they draw a devil on your shoulder, you know, and he's whispering in your ear. So, so you understand what he's doing. He knows what to say to get in your head. He knows what to do to stir up your heart and confuse your mind. So he's right there all the time going, hey, you messed up. There's no way back from this. God will never forgive you. The church will never forgive you. You will never be of any use to anyone ever again. You are absolutely worthless and useless. You are damaged goods. So you fall. The devil runs over there and puts his foot on your neck and says, you see, I told you you were worthless. I told you you could never do anything right. Look at this. Now, he, he's telling you some truth. He's telling you about your mistake. It would be good if you admitted, okay, I made a mistake. I put myself on the ground. I fell. That's on me. I own that. But I also know in the Bible, just because you fall doesn't mean you're done. With, with God, He is plenteous in mercy and forgiveness. God will allow me to get back up. If I have godly sorrow and I repent and I clear myself of that matter, I do not have to stay on the ground for the rest of my life. God can take the broken, marred clay, put it on the potter's wheel, and continue to mold it into something useful. Now we have to have that truth, we have to hold on to that, otherwise the devil will continually beat us up with our mistakes of the past and make us think, I'll never be used of God again. That, that turns into over much sorrow. Understand, you need some sorrow. You need godly sorrow. You have offended God. That is not a small thing. Right? So, so let's understand it for what it is. It is a big deal, but you can recover from it. Don't let the devil make you think otherwise. So here's what the devil will do. He'll get you to hold a grudge against somebody else. Turn your Bible to Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4.
And, and you're going to see with all these battle plans, there is some overlap, right? The first one that we're going to talk about, over much sorrow, it's going to overlap with how the devil is an accuser of the brethren. And we're going to talk, you're going to see the connection between all of these. What happens, you know, when a brother and a brother get into a quarrel and we begin to fight, we get angry with each other? This happens, yes? Yes? You, you ever have problems with somebody in your life? Sure, sure you do. Sure you do. We all do. And what happens is, is somebody says, I'm sorry, but the other guy doesn't believe it. And he says, I don't care if you're sorry or not. You hurt me. And you're holding on to that grudge. Now, what's going to happen? The, the person that apologized... He's going to start to think, well, there's nothing I can do. I can't fix this. It's completely broken. There's no way forward. Here comes the overmuch sorrow. And he starts to think this, this offense, this, this uh, transgression is a much bigger deal than it really is. Because you're holding on to the grudge, making it a bigger deal, prolonging it. So Ephesians 4 verse 26, be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the who? To the devil. The devil's looking for just a small place, just a, a little crack in the door where he can slip in and go, okay, since you're holding the grudge, I can get in there and start whispering in your ear and whispering in the other guy's ear and make you think that you two hate each other and make you think there's no way to fix that and make you think there's no way forward. And both of you end up with overmuch sorrow. All right, so be careful about holding a grudge. Ephesians 4, verse 32. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. That's how you overcome this battle plan. We fight bitterness with forgiveness. That makes sense? That's our answer to this battle tactic of the devil. Now... Let me take it one step further before we look at the next battle plan. Sometimes you can hold the grudge against yourself. Sometimes no one else is involved. You hate what you did. You hate yourself for what you did. You cannot believe that somebody that has been exposed to as much Bible and as much God as you could make that kind of mistake. So what do you do? You say, God, I'm sorry. I can't believe I did that. I feel so foolish. I feel so small. Why, why, God? Why did I do that? And God's up in heaven saying, it's done. It's in the past. Listen, I'll get up. I'll dust you off. We'll keep going. I'll help you not to repeat that mistake. But we sit there beating ourselves up going, I can't believe I did it. I can't. And God's saying, but come on. Let's go. Sitting there crying about it over and over again isn't going to help Peter, you denied the Lord. That was a low point. That was bad. But then when Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Yes. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Peter, are you sure? Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. You know what Peter did not do? He did not go on for the rest of his life saying, I can't believe I denied the Lord. He went on serving the Lord after that. And that's what you have to do, lest you be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. So forgive one another. But I think it is perfectly legitimate to say forgive yourself. When God has said, it's finished, then you need to move on. 
lest you be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Come to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12, and let's get verse number 10. You'll see some overlap in this, but the second thing is the devil will play the role of an accuser. He is the old accuser. Revelation 12 and verse 10. He will raise accusations against you. It says here in verse number 10, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God, how often? You know what he's doing right now? Day and night. He's up there trying to get God angry at you. God, look at your children. That guy says he's one of yours. Look at how he's acting. Can you believe that? God, if you're so holy, how is it that you can let that happen? God, you better, you better punish him. Look at that, God. That's a shame. He is an embarrassment. You better do something about that. And he's trying to get the Lord worked up. Now, if you don't believe that, read the book of Job. The devil and the Lord go back and forth on these things. And the Lord will also say, hey, have you seen my servant Job? He's pretty good. And they'll go back and forth like that. One of the most painful things that I believe you'll endure in this life is when somebody slanders you. Now listen, it's one thing when they tell the truth about you. There are plenty of things that people could say about us that are true and embarrassing. Amen? But, and that's painful, but what's worse than that is when they're making stuff up. Now, the, the Bible talks about the devil as the accuser. Sometimes he's going to spread lies about you, and then sometimes he doesn't need to lie. You're actually that bad. All he has to do is tell the truth about you. And what ends up happening is it, it, this is either vertical or horizontal. He is trying to accuse you to God, trying to get the Lord angry enough to wipe you out. And then he'll come down here and whisper in your ear and say, God hasn't been very good to you. You see how he treats everybody else. He's so merciful and kind and patient with them. And he takes care of them and pays their bills and heals their diseases. And, and their family is happy. And look at you. You're suffering. You never have enough. Nothing ever works for you. And get you angry at God. Trying to get you to turn your back on him. Now that's the vertical. But that's also true horizontally. He'll go and start spreading the gossip. Did you hear what so-and-so did? It, trying to get you angry at that other guy. And then it comes back, can you believe so-and-so said it? He's a gossip and now you're angry. Everybody's angry at everybody. Because the devil's just spreading. He, he, can, I, can I say it real bluntly? He won't shut his mouth. He just keeps yapping and yapping and yapping and spreading a lot of information that does not need to be spread. You say, but it's true. Okay, but you don't need to say it. Some things you need to learn to bury. Isn't that what God did with your sins? He cast it into the ocean? Bury it. Dump it in the ocean. You don't even need to talk about it anymore. That's what it means when God says, I will remember your iniquities no more. It's not that God actually forgets that it happens. God won't keep bringing it up. And He's not going to smear your name just to try to make you look bad so that people don't like you. That's the devil's job. Come to Titus chapter 2. 
Gossip is one of the chief ways to sow discord among the brethren. Now, if you know your Bible in Proverbs chapter 6, that's one of the things that God hates is he that sows discord among the brethren. So think of a cord, right? The cord is one, one piece of twine or rope. Now, discord is when you cut that. So we have a connection. But then somebody tells a story. Can you believe so-and-so did? And, and now the fellowship is broken. Sowing discord. And like I said, sometimes that's a lie and sometimes it's truth. You've got to be careful with these stories that begin to circulate. Ask yourself this, when I repeat this story, who am I helping? Is it going to help anybody? Is this going to be edifying? Is it expedient for me to share this story with the next person? Uh, here's how we do it in, in, in Christian circles. We say, I got a prayer request. We got to pray for brother so-and-so. Have you heard? Oh, let me tell you so that you know how to pray. <laughs> That's not a prayer request. That's your way of, of soothing your guilty conscience for the gossip you're about to spill out of your mouth. Titus chapter 2 and verse number 3. Ladies, forgive me, we're focusing in here, but men, this is equally, we're equally capable of this. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers. Not given to much wine, teachers of good things. I'm focusing on that phrase, not false accusers. You know the word behind false accuser? There's a Greek word behind it, diablos. You know that in Spanish as well. If anybody knows Spanish in here, I know Brother Don, you speak some Spanish. Diablos, that's the devil. That's the same word in Matthew 4 for the tempter. That It's diablos. He's the false accuser. That's the devil. He's saying, ladies, don't act, don't act like the devil. <laughs> don't be a little devil running around doing the devil's handiwork, telling people things they don't need to know. They don't need to know it. Sometimes it's a lie. Sometimes it is a misplaced truth. Some years ago, I had a pastor sit me down. and I, I'm, I'm saying, I'm repeating this story for educational purposes. All right. You don't even need to pray for <laughs> The situation's done. I'm, I'm sharing the story with you with anonymity. I'm not using names so that you can learn from it. He was an older gentleman. He sat me down. He'd been in the ministry for 50 years. And he started to tell me how bad my home church was or is. Started telling me all the problems with it. So the, the church I came from, right, it's a fairly well-known church all throughout America. So he starts running it down. And then he says, why don't you come over to my church? And we will be your sending church, and you could be one of our missionaries, and we'll take good care of you. Well, I could see what was going on there. He's just trying to add an easy number on his board. Well, that didn't sit well with me. Now, usually, I, I, I've heard people run that church down before. I, I'll just go on, just move on. Answer not a fool according to his folly. Just leave it and move on. But this guy was scheduled to go to that church and preach in the next month or so. And I thought, now, wait a minute. They don't know what they're getting into. Because I seriously doubt I'm the first one that's heard this type of story. So I prayed and prayed. For about a week, I prayed, God, do I need to say anything or not? Because I don't want to be guilty of sowing discord. That's the devil's work. 
But I thought, I, I need to at least tell the necessary person who's in charge there, my pastor, so that he can make the decision what needs to be done. I do not need to spread this man's name and all the details of the conversation to everybody I know. That's not going to do anything but create a massive division within the body of Christ. I'm going to tell the one necessary person, and that's it. And then I'm going to back away, and I'll never share the details again. And that's what I did. I told my pastor, and he confronted that man, and it didn't end so nicely because he admitted it, and he said, okay, if that's the case, then we, we're, we're not going to be able to fellowship. But at least they got, they got that much settled, and there was no more talking behind each other's backs. So if you need to handle it, okay, handle it honestly and tell the necessary person so that they can make a decision to move on. Anything more than that necessary person, you're doing the devil's work. You're a little diablos. <laughs> and you don't want to be that. Yeah. Revelation 13. Let's come back to the book of Revelation. Chapter 13. Revelation 13, verse 6. Here's another battle plan. A, device of the devil and this is persecution persecution revelation 13 and 6 it says and he opened his mouth and blasphemy against god to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven and it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations so guys the lion is roaring and when the lion roars, many times it is meant to scare the prey into submission. You understand that? The louder he roars, people seize up with, with fear and think, okay, I will just cower and back away. I do not want to mess with the lion. Our enemy, the devil, right? He walketh about as a roaring lion, not a quiet lion, a roaring lion. Now, in this case, let's come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's uh, talk about this in two ways because, yes, the devil will throw the fiery dart of physical pain. I mean, the idea of us being persecuted for our faith, praise the Lord in South Africa, we are not feeling that. But did you know that in the world today, more Christians are being persecuted than in the early church? We're just not feeling it here. But our day's coming. So you need to be aware of this battle plan because once it starts, it's not going to be an easy thing to stop. Once the world says it's okay to persecute Christians, it's going to come hard and heavy. And that's going to be a rough day. And physical persecution is part of it. But the devil is not limited to just physically hurting you. There's also an emotional pain. And guys, I know this might sound a bit soft for me to say this, but let's admit it, this is true. No one likes to have their feelings hurt. No one wants their body to hurt, but I also don't want my feelings to be hurt. I know, maybe that sounds a little, you know, effeminate or something, but hey, we all have feelings. You got them too. Yes, I'm talking to you, Bursia, and you have feelings too. Amen. You cry when you win or lose the rugby, I know. <laughs> you got emotions, they're in there, they're in there. So persecution can happen a couple of ways. Now, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 17. 
chapter 2 and verse 17. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. So Paul is trying to get to Thessalonica to comfort and encourage these Christians because they are experiencing intense persecution, being beaten, being killed, etc. But Satan is, getting, is stopping Paul from getting there so that he can swallow up the saints with persecution. And Paul doesn't want them to get discouraged by this. Come down to chapter 3, look at verse 5. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I couldn't hold back any longer, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. So he said, you guys were doing good, loving the Lord, holding on to the faith, and I'm scared that the devil has roared so loud that you dropped your faith. He says, I'm worried that, that, is, that it's swallowing you up. So I want to get there, find out how you're doing. Now, as I say, here in South Africa right now, praise the Lord, it's not physical. But you do feel it from time to time. If you don't, I'll tell you how you can make this happen. Go to work tomorrow. Go to school tomorrow. Just go out tomorrow. Hand somebody a gospel track and ask them about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not telling you to be ugly. Just have a conversation with them about the Lord. Now, you may have to go through four or five conversations, but you'll eventually find someone that does not appreciate you confronting them gently about their soul. Listen, the fear of man brings a snare. Have you ever heard of the snare of the devil? The fear of man brings a snare. And when we become afraid of what other people think about us and what they say about us, we shut our mouth, we back away, and we just keep our Christianity to ourselves. That is a device of the devil. He is getting you to do his work for him. How do you keep a lost man lost? Never tell him the gospel. So if, if the devil can scare you into quiet submission, no one will hear the gospel. The devil wins. This is why... There are more lost people than saved people. Because we're helping the enemy by not speaking up. Now, the persecution tactic. If you look in the history of the church, persecution is always followed by this next battle plan, and that is pride. So the old saying, if you can't beat them, join them. So if the devil cannot scare you away from your faith, then he will come right next to you and start telling you how great you are in the faith and start making you think you're something that you're not. All right, so let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy 3, this battle plan is pride. Instead of whispering slanderous words in your ear, the devil will whisper flattering words in your ear. If I can just use a scale to make the illustration, you know, if we have levels to the Christian life, to your growth, perhaps you're at level one or two, you're just getting started. If the devil can make you think you're at level nine, when you're really back here at one and two, you're going to miss out on a lot. Does that make sense? So he'll try to whisper in your ear and say, look, but look at where you're at. Did God tell you you were there? Did, did you 
open a Bible and say, the Bible tells me this is where I'm at in my walk with God. Where did you get this perception of where you're at spiritually? Here's what happens. We hang around with a small group of friends, maybe family members, and they say, yeah, this one, he is a big Christian. I don't even know what that is. I heard that only in South Africa. I've never heard it anywhere else. In my head, it's a big, fat Christian. You know, He's a big Christian. Okay, what is a big Christian? What is that? Where's the verse for that that tells me what a big Christian is? What is that? You know what it is? It's the guy who takes Jesus a little more seriously than you. He's big because you're small. So we begin to compare ourselves among ourselves and we we compare ourselves to people that are smaller than us and we get the idea we're big. That's just the device of the devil to get you to stop growing. You think think you're something you're not. Now Paul is addressing a pastor here. And this is obviously true for him, but it's something that can trickle down to the entire congregation. 1 Timothy 3 verse 6, not a novice. So you don't make a newcomer a pastor. Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. If you give him too much of a position too early on in his Christian life, it'll go to his head. And he'll start to think he's something that he's not. Paul said it like this, For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So you, it's, it's, the best thing you can do is open up a Bible and say, God, you show me where I'm at with you. Where am I at in my, in my growth? Thursday nights? Didn't we cover a list a couple Thursdays ago? Add to your faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, right? Okay, well, there's your biblical list. Look in that list and say, God, where am I at? You got to be careful of this. Never believe everything that people say about you. Because they're going to say some really bad things. Don't believe all that. Then they're going to say some really good things. Don't believe all that. <laughs> now, you see, I, I'm, I'm trying to give a, a balance to that. When they say bad things, examine it and say, well, maybe there's some truth to that. Maybe I can learn from that. When they say some good things, you can be encouraged by that. There's nothing wrong with being encouraged, but don't let it go to your head. And think, okay, so-and-so thinks I'm a big Christian. Well, then, Clar, I'm a big Christian. There, there might be more to that story. I think all of you are familiar with Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. So what the devil would want to do is sneak in there and start whispering in your ear and say, you got this figured out, buddy. You're a good Christian. You're a big Christian because your Tani said so. So you are perfectly capable of making these decisions on your own. You don't need to check in with the Bible. You don't need to pray about it. You're a big Christian. You see, the devil doesn't have to get you into a bar with a cigarette and a beer in your hand. The devil just has to get you to stop trusting in the Lord with all your heart. Stop leaning on Him for all your understanding. Stop acknowledging Him in all your ways. And that happens when we get a bit proud and we think, I got this. I can figure out life. And then lastly, let's come to 2 Corinthians 11. This last one, I considered making it a lesson by itself and maybe one day we will, but very broad topic. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 3 The last one is spiritual corruption. 
spiritual corruption. And I know that might be a bit vague, so let me try to narrow that down. The devil, the devil doesn't mind telling you some truth. As long as he can twist that truth a little bit. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. used to say, every bad thing in this world is a good thing twisted. I think he's right. Every bad thing in this world is a good thing twisted. When Satan was created, was he a good thing? But he got twisted. Yea, hath God said. That's where the devil started. Yea, hath God said. And then he's going to have a Bible conversation with Eve. And Eve starts quoting Bible. She misquoted it, by the way. You better know your Bible. She misquoted it. And, she, and then the devil says, well, d- did he say that? And what about this? And he starts twisting it. You'll not die. Twist. You'll be as gods, knowing good and evil. That's true. But you won't die. Twist. And this is spiritual corruption. So you'll see it here. Verse 3, chapter 11 and verse 3. Paul says, but I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so you're what? So you're what? There's the battleground. So your minds should be what? Corrupted, spiritual corruption. So your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Now imagine that. Have you ever, maybe you've experienced it, maybe you've chatted to somebody that struggles with this. So yo, man, the Bible's just complicated and the spiritual life is so tough and walking with God is... Well, okay, let's, let's be honest. It's challenging. It's challenging, but it's simple. It's simple. Take up your cross, follow me. I mean, there you go. You say, but there's a lot that comes with that. Yes, I know, but let's keep it simple. Let's not overcomplicate this. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. Let's keep it simple. Somebody comes in with a lot more steps, maybe some twisting Some perverting is happening. Now watch what happens. In verse 4, Paul's going to tell us more about what he was afraid of. Verse 3, he said, but I fear. What was he afraid of? Verse 4, for if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received. Did you see that, folks? A Christian can receive another spirit. It doesn't say that the Holy Spirit leaves. It says another spirit comes in. It doesn't possess you, but it troubles you. It confuses you. It burdens you. He says, if you receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with them. That's what Paul was afraid of. He says, I'm afraid if another preacher shows up, you guys might actually listen to what he's saying. And he's going to be telling you about another Jesus, a different message with the gospel, and you're going to have a different spiritual experience. Not a biblical one. Not a holy one. It will be spiritual. You'll feel something. But it won't be right. That's the serpent beguiling, tricking. It's a trick. It's a device. Do you remember what Peter said when when he denied the Lord? They, they asked him, are you one of his disciples? I don't know him. I don't know him. Why? Because in Peter's mind, he had a concept of what the Messiah should be. And now, instead of Jesus defending himself 
and trying to avoid the cross, Peter can see that Jesus is pushing towards the cross. He's, it looks like he's trying to die. And Peter is confused about who Jesus actually is. He said he's the Messiah, but in my head, the Messiah should do this, this, and this. So that's why Peter stands back. Peter wasn't afraid. Peter was confused. He was frustrated because he thought he knew what Jesus and the Messiah was all about, but now it turns out he's doing the exact opposite from what I think he should do. How many times in our life does the Lord do things that we don't think he should do? If you were God, you wouldn't do it that way. Amen. You just say amen to yourself right there. Amen, me. That's what I do. We get it in our heads that we're smarter than God. Because if I were God, I wouldn't do it that way. This is where you have to accept the biblical version of Jesus. You have to accept the, the God that was revealed to us through the Bible and through the mouth of Christ. You, you can't approach God with your preconceived notions of how He should operate. You have to let Him tell you how He operates and then adjust your thinking to that. And not trying to force God to match your thinking. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I mentioned it last week just briefly, but the strongholds and the imaginations, these are thought patterns. It's a structure for our thinking. The imaginations exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. Here is what God has revealed to us about Himself. And then we get these crazy ideas for what we think God is like. That is part of the spiritual battle. That is where the devil will get in there and try to corrupt your thinking of who and what and how God is. And you've got to stick to the script, to God's battle plan. God, you tell me what you want me to know about yourself. And then I'll live by that. I will think according to that. How do you overcome the lies and the confusion? Because guys, as you well know, there are so many different versions of Jesus in the world today. There's only one true one, but my goodness, the stories that get told about him, the gospel, right? the, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It is the power of God to salvation. That's it. It's simple. But how many times do people say, no, 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 that's not the good news. The good news is this, and then they tell you some other way to be saved. There are multitudes of lies out there. The devil is the father of, the, of these lies. How do we overcome that? You better grip on tight to the sword of the Spirit. When the devil approached Jesus in the wilderness, what did he do? He tempts him. Jesus' response was, it is written. It is written. Three times, it is written. That was his counteracting the devil's battle plan. The Lord has given us one offensive weapon. We're going to talk about our battle armor in another lesson, but... All of our armor is defensive, except for the sword of the Spirit. It is offensive. It allows us to build up a proper stronghold, a proper way of thinking, and then we can approach God with that. So hopefully today you've become more familiar with some of these devices of the devil, and the next time he tries to pull one of them on you, 
This is where you want to crack open your Bible and say, Lord, that's what he's doing. How do you want me to react to this? What verse in the Bible can I apply to this particular challenge? All right, let's all stand, if you would, please. Father, thank you this morning for bringing to our attention some of the devices of the devil. And Lord, we, we admit this morning that he is smarter than us. He's been around longer than us. But Lord, we also acknowledge that you are leaps and bounds smarter than him. And Father, we trust you that you have given us what we need to protect us. And even in the moment that is happening, your spirit will comfort and guide us through those challenging situations. Continue, Lord, to bring to our remembrance the things that Jesus said. And Father, as we step into this next service, continue to meet with us and speak to our hearts.